So today we begin a new sermon series in the book of Habakkuk. Now some of you just thought, a what? It's called Habakkuk. Maybe you're thinking, what is that? Is that a dish? Is that a Middle Eastern food that you eat? No, no. Habakkuk is a book in the Old Testament. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And the message that God has for his people through Habakkuk is one that is timely and that is necessary for us today as we continue in this COVID-19 sheltering in place. And if you're wondering, where do I even find Habakkuk? It's in the Old Testament, and it's between Nahum and Zephaniah. So if you're not sure where that is, then I'll encourage you to go to the table of contents and just look that up, because we'll be in, in Habakkuk chapter 1 here this morning. The message of Habakkuk is so timely, and particularly because of what it describes in this book. And really, ultimately, Habakkuk answers one question, which is, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow pain or suffering? And again, if if you think about it in our current climate, where all of us are stuck at home, and people are getting contracted with this virus, and people are dying, and the economy is still shut down. And so in the middle of all of this chaos that we're going through, God has a fresh word for his people from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. I love how this book is just honest about the pain that we feel, about disappointment and about our struggles. I mean, I'm talking about real things, like when a loved one is diagnosed with something that is just horrible, or when you lose a loved one. Or when your marriage is tanking even worse than the stock market has been these days. Or when you lose your job or you're on like just a cusp of economic collapse with your own family budget. With whatever it is that's going on around you. I mean it could be as simple for you as in the shelter in place season Being at home with your kids is just driving you crazy and you're just like done or over it. And it's like the never ending summer that began in March and will end in August, maybe. And so whatever it is that you are facing today, God has a word for you from the prophet Habakkuk. Because in this book, God explains ultimately why he allows us to experience these kinds of hard things. Several months ago, back in September, long before I knew COVID-19 was even a thing, uh, I spent about 48 hours alone with God in a retreat center. I had my Bible and just a notepad, and I was just seeking God's face and kind of walking in the woods and praying and just, just asking the Spirit for wisdom, for direction on what should I preach for the next year. And so I was just asking the Spirit of God, What would you have me teach your people? How can I feed your sheep called Renewal Church? And and I walked away from those two days. It was just an amazing time um, with pretty much a whole year plan, just knowing where God was leading me to proclaim from the word for our church. And, And one of the passages that God put in my heart back in September was Habakkuk. And, and he led me to schedule in the spring 
to preach through this book and to call this series Confidence in the Chaos. Now, when I came home from those two days and I showed Bonnie my notes and kind of what I was thinking and how God was leading, she looks at me, she looks at, at this series in the spring called Confidence in the Chaos, and she says, Oh, so I wonder what kind of chaos is coming this spring. Because Matthew, every single time that God gives you a series like this, it's because something is coming. And I just say, yeah, whatever. I kind of blew her off. And, and then March hits. And then all of a sudden, I get the phone call from BISD that we can't meet for the foreseeable near future at the school. And Bonnie looks at me. She hits me in the arm and she says, I told you, I called it. It's all your fault that we have COVID-19 because you picked this series in September. And I just said, woman, I'm just being led by the spirit. So this has nothing to do with my fault. Um, but with all just aside, this really did happen. Like, God just does this in our lives, and I believe that He was just preparing us. And so whenever I'm sharing with you about Habakkuk and being confident in the middle of the disappointments, the pain, the chaos, understand that that God put this on my heart many months ago because He sees and He knows exactly what His people need to be feeding on at the exact right time. And so we'll be in Habakkuk chapter 1 today. Today we'll be looking specifically, the sermon title here is Purpose in Your Pain. So let's read chapter 1, we'll be in verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So again, this prophet inspired by the Holy Spirit lived about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And he spoke a word that was so powerful because Habakkuk knew the Bible. He knew that they had been set apart by God for the purposes of God to be a display of his glory, a light to the nation so that all of the other nations would see that Israel is different and holy and set apart for the purposes of God. And when Habakkuk looked around at the people of God in the nation of Judah, what did he see? He did not see the character of God being displayed. He did not see a light to the nations. What he saw was darkness that has shrouded over God's people. And he describes in these verses, what did he see? He saw violence. It says destruction, fighting, conflict, evil, immorality, injustice. This is, this is what Habakkuk was seeing. This is Judah. This is the people of God. This is not a pagan nation. These are people that supposedly knew God. And what he saw was so dark and evil 
In verse 4, it says, the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth. It says, for the wicked surrounds the righteous. Can you just feel Habakkuk's pain, the anguish in his soul? Verse 2, he says, oh Lord, how long? He says, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? So he's just in desperation saying, God, I was there when King Josiah, who was a good king, brought reforms. And now his, his idiot son is ruling and has led us down this path of immorality and evil and adultery and of idolatry. And, and so Habakkuk is just so grieved over what he's seeing. And he's crying out to God and saying, how long? Will you not pay attention? How long will you not see what's happening around here? Habakkuk found himself in the middle of chaos, in the middle of deep struggle and disappointment. As we work through this chapter, I want to give you three truths about chaos and what it's like when we're in the middle of that storm. And then we'll be looking at how we should respond in light of who God is in the middle of the chaos. So not when we're out of it, but when we're right smack in the middle of the chaos, of the pain, how do we respond so that it leads us to having God-exalting confidence in that chaos? So truth number one, when chaos hits, Number one, God can seem silent. We have to be aware of this. If it hasn't happened to you, it's coming, I promise. God can seem silent in the chaos. You see Habakkuk, he's crying out, why do you let your people live like this? Why are you allowing this evil to happen? Why don't you just do something, God? Get off of your backside on the throne and come down and do something about all this pain and evil that is happening down here. And if you follow Jesus for a long time, or whether you're young, at some point in your journey of faith, you're going to reach this point, this, this crisis of faith where something is going to happen to you or to a loved one, something that's going to just like punch you in your spiritual gut and knock the wind out of you and just knock you over and it will happen. It's only a matter of time. And you may find yourself like Habakkuk crying out and saying, God, what gives? God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, don't you see? Will you please take action? And in the middle of the pain, in the middle of our deep disappointment, of the dark night of the soul, God can seem silent. He can seem distant or checked out or just far away. You know, as we think about our day today, April of 2020, there are many people right here in Bill County, let alone across the country and the world, but even right here where we live, that are just seeking God or just asking questions. 
And they're asking the same questions that Habakkuk was asking. Maybe even today you have found this online service and you're listening even right now in this moment and you have found yourself in this this quarantine pandemic era that we're in and you've been asking God where are you God are you real and God if you're good why are you allowing these bad things to happen why do you allow COVID-19 to even exist God what are you doing how can there be a good God when we see so much evil all around us and if that's you today then you have to know that God welcomes hearing from so where are you at today? Are you where Habakkuk was saying, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for you for help and you will not hear? So where are you at? Maybe if you come from a church background, maybe you find yourself just kind of faking it. Where you maybe go to church or you do the online thing with your family Sunday morning Yes, you're checking all the religious boxes, but in your heart of hearts, deep inside of you, you don't really understand what it's about, and maybe you don't even really care, and you don't even, even practice the things that we talk about Sunday after Sunday and in our home groups and from the Word, because it's not really your priority. Yeah, you're there because your wife or your husband wants you to be engaged, but your heart isn't really in it. Are you just kind of faking it this morning and you find maybe your soul this morning to be empty? Maybe that's why you looked for this online gathering because you know that you're missing something and there is this emptiness and the whole spirit of religion is not working to satisfy your deepest longings and your soul. So maybe you're faking it today, but maybe that's not you. Maybe today you are running ragged. Maybe you have been running, chasing after Jesus, serving in his kingdom, and you genuinely care about serving others and making his love known to others, but you've been so busy in, with even in this current season with serving others, or maybe you've been just working for Jesus so hard that you've actually forgotten to love him. And maybe you've forgotten your first love. And maybe your life is filled with religion, but have you forgotten your first love? Have you forgotten to stop and rest and to enjoy Jesus? And on this Sunday morning, you find yourself just a little bit tired. Maybe your soul is just exhausted from this season and you're running ragged. So where are you at today? Maybe today you're one of the wounded. Maybe you're like Habakkuk where you're hurting. Life has not been kind to you. You've had some very real challenges and you have just been punched in the mouth emotionally or literally or financially, or in any other spiritual capacity, you find yourself today just wounded. And you can understand Habakkuk's prayer. And how long, O oh Lord, will I continue in this pain with you not hearing me? So maybe today you're in a place of pain. 
you know, pain can blind us. Pain can at times be so hard. Again, whether it's physical or emotional, spiritual, pain can be so hard at times it can just blind us and, and we just can't even see God anymore. And we can't even see the purpose of God because of the pain that we're going through. And we just can't even see how God's at work in our circumstances because all we can see and feel is the pain or that disappointment. And right now, in the midst of COVID-19, are you struggling with a sense of either emptiness or exhaustion or of pain? Habakkuk was. He did. And in the middle of that, to him, God seemed so silent. He just couldn't hear from God. So how do we respond in the middle of the chaos when God seems to be silent. Let me give you an answer. Here's what we do. You cry out to God. That's what we do. We cry out to Him. That's what Habakkuk did. When he was going through this pain, he, he didn't retreat. He didn't run away. He didn't try to go numb the pain with endless hours of Netflix or eating or, or with food or drink or with working like he didn't just go keep himself so busy that he couldn't even think about it he wasn't medicating or numbing it instead he takes the pain that he's feeling the disappointment and he goes straight to God and he cries out to God he comes clean before God he wasn't pretending or faking or just having these platitudes on Oh, God is good, which yes, of course he is. But if you're having a hard time, let's just be honest with each other and not play these games and pretend that we've got it all together. Because there are people that I've met so many times where they have real struggles, but they don't come clean. They're not honest about them. Why? Because they think that no one else is struggling. They actually think that everyone else has it all together and is just fine. And so they're afraid. They were afraid to come out and to be honest and to cry out to God. You have to know that God loves you. And He wants to heal you and give you freedom. Come out into the light and let His love overtake you. Come clean. Cry out to Him like Habakkuk did. Let's be real with our God, with ourselves, and with one another. God wants to take us deeper into His love. God wants to do a healing and a transforming work in our lives. So God has a mighty work to do in your heart and in your life for His glory if you will just cry out to Him and not hide or pretend because God is there and He is waiting for you. Because he treasures you. Let's continue reading Habakkuk chapter 1. Because when he complains and cries out to God, God hears him and he responds. So verses 5 through 11 here in Habakkuk 1. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your day that you will not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. 
Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose on might, own might is their God. This is this is amazing because if you look at verse five, when God is responding to Habakkuk's lament, God tells him in verse five, He says, "I know, I hear you." Habakkuk, I'm aware. I see what's happening, and I have a plan to respond to all the evil, all the pain. And he says, "Look among the nations and see." He says, "Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told." God says, "I'm going to blow you away. I'm going to astound you, leave you in awe. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you." What I'm about to do to address all of this evil, and so I, I think verse five we we picture maybe it could be like a really great poster where it was this beautiful landscape, or maybe like a a still lake with a little boat in it, and it's so serene. And then there's imposed on it this message of verse five that says, "Be astounded." I'm about to do this mighty work. It's going to blow you away. And we think, oh, verse five should be on this beautiful poster, or maybe a cool meme on social media.、Um, read the next verses. It says, "I'm going to blow you away with what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians. They're going to destroy you. They are fearsome, and they take captives. And so, picture." Modern day, maybe say North Korea, a totalitarian regime that enslaves their people and is just just evil. And imagine a nation like that, but that's a world power. That was Babylon, also known as the Chaldeans, that you see here in this text. And God says, "My answer, my plan, is to says in verse six to raise up." So God, on purpose, is going to raise up the Babylonians and send them to Jerusalem and to destroy the city walls, to level the temple, and to take those who survive as captives, as exiles, back to Babylon in modern-day Iraq. Can you imagine how Habakkuk must have? Because all of this did come true years later in 586 BC. So let's move on to the second truth of what happens in the chaos. So number two, when chaos hits, God is still sovereign. God is still in control. He still has a purpose and a plan, and He is working to accomplish it. And so that's what we see here in the next verses, verses twelve through seventeen. Let let's keep reading that. And this is this is Habakkuk's response, a second complaint to God. 
Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, them being Babylon, as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net, so gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And so what he's describing here is he is complaining, saying, God, the Babylonians are evil. They're even worse. He's like, yeah, okay, I agree, God. Like, we're bad, but they're worse. They're a whole different level of bad. And this describes here with this language of, of being just evil, and they destroy, and, and they kill. And so here you have the prophet making a second complaint, saying, really, God? That's your plan? Your plan is to send Babylon to destroy your people? Really? God, seriously, you are good. You cannot even look upon evil. So I'm pretty sure that you misspoke because surely not. Like this can't be your plan. Your plan has to be to bless your people, not to harm them. So he argues and says, God, no, there's no way. You're mistaken. Poor Habakkuk. He just wasn't listening. And he just, at this point, doesn't get it. He has a lot to learn about the sovereignty of God. Chapter 2, verse 1 shows poor Habakkuk. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk be like, God, mic drop. I just, I just wrecked you. There's no way that you can do this to us because you are a good God. I'm going to go up on my tower. I'm going to hang out there and just wait and watch and see what you're going to say to me. Because my argument is so tight knit and so error proof that there's no way, God, that you can respond back to me because I got this, God, and you are wrong and you, this whole sim Babylon and our chaos thing. No, 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 no. I don't like that. And so I'm going to just wait up here and I'll respond back to you if you have anything else to say to me. Like Habakkuk, man, he'd be crazy. Like he is nuts to talk to God this way. And God is gracious and patient and welcomes the prophet's complaints and disrespect in a lot of ways towards God. But if we're really honest, we're not the different from Habakkuk. We're no different. Because whenever things get hard for us, what do we do? Whenever we get a diagnosis from the doctor that is really unfavorable, 
when we get betrayed, when we lose our job, when our marriage is not satisfying, when our kids drive us crazy, when we are going through very real deep waters, the way Habakkuk was, how do we tend to respond? If we're honest, the same way the prophet did. With saying, God, how could you? God, no, this can't be your plan. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Where are you in the coronavirus pandemic? God, where are you? I have needs and struggles. And how long, oh Lord? And how could you have allowed this to happen? Just like the prophet, we get frustrated. We question God's plan. We complain and we tend to look elsewhere for answers. We doubt the goodness of God. And the reason is that in our human rebellion, we all yearn, we all want to be autonomous. We all want to be sovereign. We want to be in control. We want to go to God and say, God, here's my plan. Here's what I want my life to look like. Here's what I want it to be. God, here, and you want, we all do, we all want God's stamp of approval to authenticate our document and to say, this is what I want. And God to say, okay, I will submit to your authority, O human. And yet, the truth is that the word is telling us that God is sovereign and that he has a plan. And oftentimes what happens to us is in our rebellion and in our doubting, what happens is it draws us far away from God. It draws us far away from His purpose. It draws us far away from real joy. Because the source of joy is God Himself. And we lose out on the growth that He wants us to have. We lose out on the freedom he wants us to have, on the victories he wants us to have. And so how do we respond? How should we respond to a God who is sovereign right in the middle of the chaos? Well, I'll give you one word. Yield. We surrender. We give up our will and say, your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. We stop trying to be in control and sovereign, and we let God be God. We put ourselves in the position of a servant who is created, who exists by the very mercy of God, and our purpose is found in our delighting in him and trusting Him. In the middle of the chaos, we have to see God's character as refuge. We run to the shelter of the character of God because God is good and He is wise and He has a plan and He has a purpose so we can surrender to Him knowing that He is working our circumstances to accomplish His sovereign purposes. Now, I know you can tell me, no, but you don't know, Pastor Matthew, what I'm going through is really hard, really painful. 
Like, this is some serious stuff. It, it just doesn't matter what it is that we're going through. God is nonetheless sovereign over it, and He is at work, and He has a plan. Now, I understand that there are times when it doesn't look like it. There's times when what God is doing seems just crazy, like sending Babylonians to destroy God's people in order to restore them years later, in order to display His glory and to discipline His people so that they will share His holiness. Yeah, it would seem so unpleasant and unlike God, but God is sovereign and He's working all things together for good. He's at work even in our pain to bring about what He wants in our lives, which is to love Him and to trust Him. There's a member of our church, her name is Pilar, and she has personally walked through some very deep waters. And I want you to watch this testimony and see exactly how God has given her confidence in her chaos. I met my husband, my now husband, uh, back in February of 1989. Tom had a job with a bank, I had a job with a temp agency, and we could see the Lord working. After about three years of marriage, um, we decided that it was time to probably have children or at least start trying to have children and so at this point I was working for a nonprofit organization running preschool classes and so the time for each baby to be born just um, in August was just not real convenient or September you know uh, this baby had to be born in April and that way I could be off during the summertime so come the day of the appointment with the doctor and um, they bring us in, they give us, they weigh me and I've put on weight and we're so excited because this baby is due in April. And uh, the nurse comes in to, um, to listen for the heartbeat and there was no heartbeat. And everything that we thought we had control over was gone. And so overnight, we held each other and we cried and God very clearly said, you just think, you just think you're in control. My ways are so much higher than your ways. My ways are so much more than yours. And we had to trust. And we had to trust. And three months later, in December, the Lord said, this is your time. I became pregnant in December. And as you can imagine, the baby was born in September. <laughs> and it didn't matter. We decided that we were going to expand our family. Um, we learned our lesson. We knew it was God's timing. And so we prayed about it. We prayed about it. And we did go through some difficult things. There were some miscarriages. And uh, over Thanksgiving break, in fact, I miscarried and I knew what it was because I had experienced it and I prayed Lord just let me have peace about this just 
Give me your peace. That's all I want. So we go to the hospital and um, they took me in and they said, ma'am, um, we don't know what's happened to you, but you are most definitely pregnant. There is a heartbeat. And um, it was a twin pregnancy and I lost one. And um, so there was joy, but there was sadness, but God was faithful. So in February of last year, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. They told me that in week three of chemo, that hair follicles just really don't like the medication and so that I would probably lose my hair. And um, I did not think that that was gonna be that big of an issue. And when it came to it, um, I cut my hair fairly short. I did everything I could to keep that, that hair. I was trying so hard. After going through chemotherapy, I had surgery. Five days later, I got my pathology report and there was no cancer there. I was praying to the Lord. It's like, Lord, when are you gonna give me hair? When are you gonna give me hair? And very clearly in my spirit, he said, how can I give you hair when you have not given me what you have right now? The Lord was asking for everything. And until I gave him everything, he wasn't going to give me anything. And so I did. I trusted him. I gave him my hair. And look at it now. Everything that Pilar experienced, everything that you saw, it could seem so random. It, it could seem like meaningless or just chaotic in her life. But you see the hand of God, God was at work the whole time in Pilar's life. There is purpose in our pain. He wants all of us, our whole heart. And he calls us to yield to him and to his good, sovereign plan. We just stop, and we rest in him, and we ask the Spirit to reveal our heart and those areas that we are withholding from him, those areas that we are rebelling against God. And we sit quietly in the middle of the pain, of the chaos, and we say, Spirit, will you reveal to me? We cry out to him, and we yield to his sovereign good plan in the middle of the pain. And what you will see, if we will do this, is you will see the fruit that the Spirit will bring in your life. Number three, third truth, as we begin to come to a close here. When chaos hits, number three, God has a supreme solution. He has the supreme, the ultimate, the final solution to all of our problems. Let's finish up reading here this morning in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run 
who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest, his greed as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects his own all peoples. God answers a second time to the prophet. And he says, wait for it. I'm going to fulfill my purpose for my people. In the middle of everything you're going through, middle of this storm, wait for it. I will do it. And then in verse verse 4, he says something that is astounding. He says something that is quoted three times in the New Testament. In Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38, and also in Romans 1.17. He says, the righteous shall live by his faith. So we are not righteous because we've earned anything. We are righteous simply by faith. We don't earn it. We receive God's righteousness by faith, by trusting in God alone. This is amazing because Habakkuk wrote this 600 years before the birth of Jesus. So understand, this is six centuries before. And then what you have is in this powerful text, it's a foreshadowing. It's a pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the gospel that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that he has victory over sin, over disease, over Satan, victory over death. And so now we can have hope if we will trust in Jesus for our salvation. It's all about trusting in the one who has kept all his promises through the son. So maybe you're wondering, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? How can a gracious and all-wise and all-powerful God allow us to have a pandemic that has just gone all across this globe, causing fear and causing anxiety and paralyzing people and even the economy? Like, how is it possible that a good God could allow this to happen? Well, we see here that God has solved the problem of evil. Yes, evil exists. It's not an illusion. It's very real. There is very real death all around us right now in the world. The Bible doesn't deny it. There is sin. There is evil. And yet, what we see here is that, yes, the world has fallen. Yes, every one of us is corrupted as our world has been plunged into sinfulness and one of the effects of sin is disease and death. And yet the story doesn't end there. It says that we live by faith, a pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one that overcame it. So through the gospel, God solves the problem of evil. Through the gospel, Jesus took our evil, our guilt. He took it upon himself and he defeated it. And so he has solved it. Yes, evil exists, but there is a supreme solution to the problem of evil. And his name 
is Jesus. He is the solution to our evil. He's the solution to our sin problem. The cross proves that God had a plan and he kept it. How do we respond in the middle of our chaos to the fact that God has a supreme solution? I'll give you two simple words, and these two words basically define the totality of humans' response to God. Trust Him. We trust God. We depend on Him. That's how we respond to the chaos. We respond with the deep trusting, a depending on Jesus, knowing that He overcame and that He alone can give us victory. We can stop trying to be in control. We know that God has got this. We can give Him our everything because we know that He will take care of everything in our lives. We believe that He has a purpose in what He is allowing in our lives. I understand the world looks like it's spinning out of control and in chaos, but it's not. God is on His throne and we trust Him. We know that we have hope in Christ. Jesus paid it all. What that means is there's no wrath reserved for you if you trust in him. What that means is your struggles are not punitive. God is not punishing you. If bad things happen, it's not like God is saying, oh, well, you didn't share the gospel when you were out at the coffee shop or you chickened out when you were on the airplane and you didn't talk to the person that was next to you. And so since you weren't a very good evangelist, bam, here comes a trial. It's not like that. It's not punishment. God is not out to get you because Jesus already paid it all. You see, When bad things happen, it's because we're in a fallen world. But take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. So it's not God getting you. It's not not that God doesn't know or doesn't care. It's that God has a purpose. And you see, here's what I want you to know as we close. Is if God is all holy, and he is, and good, and he is, and wise, and he is, and if he has a plan for you, and he does have one, then when bad things happen, then that has to be God's way of bringing you to where He needs you to be in your life to better know Him and to glorify Him. Because what is God after in your life? Two things. One, He's after you glorifying Him. That's why you exist. Two, your joy. God wants you to have overflowing, bubbling over eternal joy. And you know what? Those two things are actually one. Because when you are glorifying God, that is where you find joy. Because God is the source of joy. He is joy. You go anywhere else and you won't find it. And so when God calls us to worship Him, to glorify Him, He's calling us to come find joy, come delight in Him, come find our hope and our our purpose, our everything in Him. He is our very purpose for being. And so take courage. Know that whatever God is doing, He has a purpose in it. And if there was any other way, if there was any other way for God to bring about His appointed end in your life, He would do it. And so if He's allowing this, whatever this is, to happen in your life, it's because there's no 
other way. God is all wise. If there was another way, he would have thought of it. So we can rest. We can trust him. Yes, he can seem silent, but he's not. He's there. He is sovereign. We can yield to him. He has a solution. His name is Jesus. And so today, whatever you're going through, take heart. Be bold. Draw near to him. Feel his spirit filling you. And know that what he's allowing in your life is to bring you joy in his presence and allow you to walk in victory and to have confidence in the chaos.